Dudes, check this out. Piece of advice. It's never a good look when you untuck a long, bulky dress shirt. You might think that it makes you look cool or casual, but more than not, it makes you look sloppy, like a slob. This is why Untuck It makes shirts that are specifically designed to be worn untucked. A casual shirt that's not too long, it's not too short, it's just right. Shirts designed so well that GQ calls them perfection. That's a quote. Untuck It shirts are a go-to for any occasion from casual to dressy. Not only do they look good, they feel amazing. I know I wear them. Impeccable craftsmanship and attention to detail make Untuck It the only choice for the untucked man. With more than 50 sizing options, every guy can find the perfect shirt. Log on to UntuckIt.com. Check out all the new fall arrivals. Use the promo code ROME20 and get 20% off your entire first-time purchase. You can also visit Untuck It in one of their over 30 35 retail locations across the country. Listen, stop hiding your shirt with your pants and your pants with your shirt. Untuckit.com. Use the promo code Rome20 and get 20% off. Untuckit.com. You know, listen, when I got to go to, to Jump Street, it was very interesting because to this day, like my younger kids don't believe I know Johnny Depp. Right. And I'm like, no, just check out my resume. It's there. It's right. there. Welcome to the Jim Rome Podcast. This is episode 64, and my guest is Kevin Hooks. 40 years ago, the world was introduced to the basketball team at Culver High. The White Shadow was an iconic TV show, one of my favorite TV shows of all time. Coach Ken Reeves was the man, but nobody on the planet was cooler than his point guard, Morris Thorpe. Kevin brought that role to life. Kevin Hooks has lived an amazing Hollywood life. He is a tremendous director who's been a part of so many of your favorite TV shows. But no matter where he goes, people always want to talk to him about the white shadow. And it's a badge of honor that he wears proudly, and I love him for it. One of my favorite career memories. In fact, one of my favorite life memories was getting a group from the White Shadow together to celebrate that show back on my Fox series, The Last Word. That was way back in 2001. 17 years later, I get to rap with Kevin to celebrate the 40th anniversary of this iconic television series. The White Shadow was groundbreaking back when it first aired, and it still is groundbreaking today. Ep 64 with Kevin Hooks starts right now. Kevin, I got to say, to this to this day, one of my favorite days of my entire career was when I had you and a few of the fellas in for a White Shadow reunion show, which I hosted on the last word on Fox Sports Net. Kevin, if you can believe this, that was July of 2001, and now recently wow. fans of the show celebrated the 40th anniversary of the White Shadow. Kevin, 40 years. I mean, how the hell is this possible? 40 years since the White Shadow. Are you kidding me about that? I, listen, I, I can't believe it myself, man. It, it's it's uh, it's been a hell of a run, and I'm just uh, you know I'm blown away by the fact that 40 years later people are still talking about the White Shadow and they still remember it, and you know people still come up to me all the time, mostly in airports, by the way, for some reason, and uh, they always kind of go back to the White Shadow and. You know, over the years, it's gone from people who watched it, you know, themselves, and now it's like I watched it with my dad, and you know, that kind of thing. But 
it's an amazing thing, man, and I'm so proud of it. And, uh, you know, the 40th anniversary is just just amazing. Now, Kevin, one of my favorite things is that you have that kind of pride in that because you've gone on, you've had such an amazing career, and I know that you're proud of a lot of other things that you've done, but I love the fact that you have such great enthusiasm and so much pride in that program because the fact is, yeah. I mean, it truly was one of the greatest TV shows ever, especially for people of our generation. I mean, for a lot of people, it was a part of our childhood, not just a great show, but a part yeah. of our childhood. And when I see people, Kevin, that know the show, that love the show, there's an instant connection, an instant bond. Yeah. It's unspoken. You don't need to say anything. I've got to know, what was it like as a young actor to work on that show and to live that? You know, uh, well, for us, it was sort of like, you know, a private fraternity. Um, you know, we were all a bunch of young guys. Uh, most of us did not know each other before. I did know a couple of the guys prior to that, but you know, it was a it was a tremendous bonding experience, man. And uh, you know, uh, obviously, we had uh, some of the original cast members leave after season two, and then it all started over again in season three. But you know, we knew that um, that it felt really good to us. And, um, you know, we were getting, you know, some amazing scripts, um, you know, shepherded by Bruce Paltrow, who created the show with, with Ken Howard. And uh, we were dealing with some subject matter that was always uh, right on the cutting edge. And, uh, you know, we knew we were, we were dealing with something really special. And then, you know, to sort of be out in the world and have people respond the way that they did, not only to us, but to the show. Um, you know, a lot of times you get caught up in, wow, you know, hey, uh, people are recognizing me now and they're appreciating the work that I'm doing. But it was an amazing experience because people talked about the show. And I think that's the thing that has resonated throughout the, the 40 years now um, is that people, as you said, grew up with it. And um, I think it really sort of brought families together um, in a way that people didn't anticipate from a show like that. I mean, the subject matter that we dealt with, you know, was very controversial then, and it still remains so, some of it today. Um, and so I, I think it really sort of uh, was very provocative, and, and, and it really got people, you know, thinking about, you know, parents thinking about how they were going to raise their kids, kids thinking about, you know, how they were going to deal with situations with friends and family. And so I think it really resonated in ways that none of us could anticipate. And uh, it's just amazing that it, that it still has that impact. Yeah, it really does. It, it resonates four decades later. And, Kevin, for those who, for whatever reason, if they did not know, we're talking about a fictional high school basketball team in South L.A., Carver High. Now, when you talk about the subject matter, I mean, it was really deep, really edgy, very aggressive. Kevin, how about the episode where Coolidge and his lady broke up and then you got with her and you got the clap? I mean, dude, yeah, show, TV yeah. shows were not doing episodes on VD in the late 70s and early 80s. What was that like? How edgy was that at that time? And what was it like to do that episode? You know, it's funny. I was just talking uh, to Thomas Carter, uh, who sure. played Hayward, and he directed that episode, which I didn't remember, but that is one of the episodes that uh, has always been very special to me. Um, it, obviously, the subject matter was, you know, I wish I was on the other end of that. But uh, <laughs> again, I mean, it was, it was, um, you know, it was very unique. Byron Stewart and I, Byron played Coolidge. Uh, we had a really, really close relationship on and off uh, camera. And, um, 
you know, any time that we got to work together, you know, magic kind of happened. I mean, I, I, I kind of sensed that, that we were almost like the Laurel and Hardy of the show. We, we kind of, you know, he was so big and, you know, next to me, I, I, you know, next to him, rather, I was, I was, you know, very small. So you had that visual going. But beyond that, you know, we really kind of, uh, because we were so close, things happened on screen that, that really, um, I, I thought there was an authenticity to our relationship on the show um, that was impacted certainly by our friendship. And so uh, that, that episode, you know, really was about, you know, the depth of a friendship and, and what happens when two teenagers, you know, find themselves in a very challenging situation and have to really, you know, what friendship means and, and whether or not, you know, that's something that you want to continue with and how, how that friendship is going to move forward. And I just remember that, that, you know, it really tested us as actors, um, and, and, you know, like I've said before, it, it just, you know, it resonated in terms of what friendship really was. And I think a lot of young people looked at that and, and saw, you know, two, two people that they respected um, and, and wanted to see be friends. And it was like, okay, is this going to tear them apart or bring them together? And ultimately, that's what The White Shadow was about. It was really about bringing people together. Um, in a number of different ways. And so I think that was a really special episode. And then to have Thomas direct it uh, was just icing on the cake. I mean, Kevin, the thing is, the show, I mean, I don't know, maybe because I was younger, I don't know, it just, it all seems so real. And I, I use that term both ways. Like, it was real. The subject matter was real. It seemed like... At times, Carver High almost seemed like a real team. The chemistry among the actors yeah. seemed so real and genuine. I mean, did, did often, did you fall into a, a pattern where it felt like we're a real team here? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I think, you know, uh, aside from us being a real team, I mean, that was really important to us uh, was to really sort of not only feel like a real team, but, but, but show that a real team, you know, the closeness of a real team, I think, was really important for us to, 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 to show everybody. And so, you know, we really kind of worked at that. We, we, but we also naturally um, spent a lot of time together, you know. We enjoyed each other's company, you know. Um, we were constantly sort of going out together. You know, a few of us, uh, you know, uh, we'd go out with our spouses or significant others and you know, we just really enjoyed spending time together. And so I think that spilled over into what you guys saw in the show. And once we realized that we had that together, I think that we, we I, I can't say we had to work really hard to show that. I think it was a natural thing. And, and you know, that's why it was, it was really challenging for us. And it was totally different at the end of season two when, when uh, a lot of those guys left because that chemistry had been so rich um, and so authentic. And, um, and then, you know, but listen, high school, people graduate. And so, uh, you know, we had to be true to that, to that as well. And, um, you know, season three, we started it over again. Obviously, that was the final season. Um, and I think that was due largely in part to, you know, the network sort of moving us around so much that the audience kind of dissipated. Uh, but, you know, look, it was a very special situation, and, um, you know, I think that's what audiences saw in it. Um, it was a real, 
it was real, Jim, and, and, and I think, uh, you know, that's what people really enjoy. You know, Kevin, you talk about, like, after season two when some of the guys were moved around and changed the dynamic of the program, something else that made the White Shadow so different, Eric Kilpatrick, Kevin, who's a good friend of yours still, played yeah. Jackson on the program, and Jackson was killed off. And again, Kevin, yeah. I remember, you know, I was, I was younger, and I had a pretty strong feeling about the program, but I remember thinking at the time, like, holy shit, Jackson's yeah. dead? I mean, it was yeah. really heavy to see, even as a viewer, because shows did not kill off major characters back then. What was it like for you to pick up the script and see that a close friend and a character on that show had been killed off? Well, it was it was um, a surprise, number one. Um, I, I know that they had talked about, you know, the fact that uh, we were going to have to have some people graduate and move on to other things. Um, and we didn't anticipate that, that that would be a part of it. So, And Eric, as you said, is a very good friend of mine, and, and he was actually one of the people that I had a relationship with actually well before the White Shadow since, since we were kids. Um, and so uh, when, when I read that script, um, the first thing was shock, obviously, and it was like, wow, okay, this is, this is not how, <laughs> this is not what I anticipated. And I actually talked to Eric about it because, you know, my next thoughts were, you know, how is he going to deal with this? And, you know, it was he also surprised me because he was actually very positive about it. And uh, and he said to me, you know what, this is exactly what I would like to happen to this character because it is once again a a, a kernel of realism um, and, and, and something that, it, that, that really exemplifies the kind of environment that we live in, and this is the kind of thing that we are all vulnerable to. And he said, I really, really would like for this to happen more so than, you know, just a typical kind of graduation or, you know, that kind of thing. And, um, and I thought, wow, you know, that's, we were, we were, that episode was very true to what the White Shadow tried to do all the time. And at the same time, it, you know, it, it broke our hearts that, that there was no chance that we would ever see Curtis Jackson again. Uh, but again, I thought, you know, one of our more provocative episodes and, uh, you know, again, my, my, my hat's off to the writers who, who saw that and recognized that opportunity. Um, and quite frankly, I think, you know, I'd look to, you know, the pilot of Hill Street Blues, which was also an MTM show. And, you know, I think they may have seen that episode of The White Shadow and, and saw what we did uh, with Curtis Jackson. And, you know, if you remember the, the pilot of Hill Street Blues, they had one of their regulars get shot in the pilot. Um, and you didn't know what was going to happen to him. So uh, I, I would like to think that, that that story resonated within the company as well and inspired some, some other writers to sort of think about, hey, wait a minute, if they can do it, we, we can maybe explore that route as well. Oh, I have to think so, Kevin. God, it's so, it's so interesting to hear you say that because, you know, the world has changed so dramatically and the way content is produced and pushed out is so dramatically different. Again, I can remember being young and watching Hill Street Blues. It was like, it was an event. I mean, when that show was yeah. on, it was an event, like all time stopped. And when characters and characters did die off on that show, it was really, really intense and significant. You mentioned Thomas Carter, and then he and you and Tim Van Patten have all gone on and had great directorial and producing careers. I mean, Kevin, so how do you explain the fact that that show, The White Shadow, was such an amazing training ground for so many of you on the other side of the camera? 
Well, I mean, I listen. I think that that can be attributed to um, the the creative environment that uh, we were in. You know, um, the studio CBS Radford uh, at that time is a very small studio uh, lot uh, in Studio City, California, and um, all, I think all of the shows, or certainly the great majority of the shows that were. Uh, that were working there were all under the MTM banner, the Mary Tyler Moore uh, Company, which was run by Grant Tinker and, and Mary at that time. And so everybody kind of knew each other creatively. They, you know, you'd see them in the commissary and on the lot, and, and we all, it was like one big family. And Bruce Paltrow, um, you know, I, I think, you know, was married to, to Blythe Danner, who was an actress, a wonderful, fantastic actress, um, and of course, you know, uh, is, is the father of, of Gwyneth Paltrow. But, uh, so they knew acting and, uh, Bruce, Bruce basically understood the difficulty that, um, that, you know, uh, minority, uh, uh, actors like myself, particularly African American actors had in maintaining careers. And so he was very aware of that and acknowledged it and said, you know, listen, we've got a creative environment here that, if you're interested in other aspects of this business, i.e. writing or directing, uh, the resources are open to you. So we were able to take advantage of, you know, casting, editing, production meetings, all of those things were available for us. And so I think we all saw an opportunity there. And, uh, you know, and Bruce was, you know, phenomenally generous and, and, uh, and, and made sure that he, uh, uh, backed up and delivered on those promises to to give us those opportunities, and and I think the rest, fortunately, is history. I mean, the man changed my life and, and changed the lives of many people, and I'm indebted to him uh, for the rest of, of my life. Yeah, Ken, I'm going to talk to you about a couple of those opportunities before I let you go. Now, Tim, to your point, Tim once said, "Without Bruce Paltrow, I'd be mixing cement somewhere." You know, <laughs> yeah. I. I've only spoken to Tim when you came on the program. Remember when you were in studio, we had Tim on satellite back in the day. And and I don't really know Tim, but Salami. Salami was such an awesome character. Tim always seemed to have this, like, crazy charisma, that crazy it. Tim strikes me as, like, one of the best dudes ever, like a guy's guy. What's he like? Is Is that the case? Well, I can tell you he's such a great guy that he is godfather to my oldest daughter, Christiana. Um, and that's how close he and I were. Um, and, you know, obviously Tim's family, extremely creative and uh, continues to be so as his daughter now has gone in uh, to the to the acting business and is very successful as well. Um, Tim was one of the most genuine and is one of the most genuine guys I've ever met. We hit it off right away. He and I were the two youngest of the group. And so we had that in common. And uh, Tim also knew where the best food and restaurants were in LA. So uh, we both like to eat. We hung out quite a bit. And as I said, he's, you know, obviously very close as, uh, as, as you might imagine. So, uh, you know, it was very interesting because Tim did not right away sort of, um, you know, express any kind of interest that I could see in, in uh, directing and, and getting behind the camera. Um, and I got a call from him one day uh, right before he directed his first episode. And I can't remember what the show was, but he said, I just want to check in with you and just, you know, run some things by you. And, and uh, you know, just to make sure that I've, I've sort of got my head in the right place. And so 
I always remember that conversation because uh, as he has gone on to be a tremendously successful, you know, Emmy-winning, you know, director, writer, producer, um, with, you know, some of the best credits that I've seen. I mean, Timmy directed the pilot to Game of Thrones. And so uh, I, I could not be more proud of him. But I have to laugh now because, you know, he's he's so far exceeded anybody's expectations, not to say that he wasn't going to be successful, but he's been wildly successful. And so the fact that he called me at some point to sort of check in and make sure that, that he was thinking uh, that, that, you know, he was doing the right thing and, and sort of thinking in the way that he should have been, it's just very funny to me because I don't think he needed my input at all. He's done fantastic. Yeah, well, he's had a legendary directing career, but so have you. And one of your first directing gigs was on the show St. Elsewhere, also an iconic show. I mean, yeah. Kevin, that, that's a huge, huge swing for somebody of your age at that time. Were you ready for the opportunity when it presented itself? And how did you go about approaching that one? Well, you know, that was uh, that was not the way it was supposed to go down, Jim. I, I was... Uh, I was supposed to, and I was scheduled to do uh, my debut on an episode of The White Shadow in season three. And uh, as it turned out, we were uh, canceled uh, before that opportunity came about. So I was promised by Bruce that his next show he would bring me in on um, as a director. And so that next show happened to be St. Elsewhere, which, as you said, was, was a huge step up. Uh, stylistically, and 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 it was it was a far more complex and complicated show on every level than the White Shadow was. I mean, I guess you could sort of look at it as an ensemble drama, but uh, just in terms of the way it was executed, it was totally different. And so, um, I have to say that I think I was more prepared mentally than I was um, in terms of technique. Uh, but I had a great group of people around me, uh, Mark Tinker, um, who was Grant Tinker's son and, and uh, went on to, to produce and, and uh, many shows and direct tons of episodes of you know, Dick Wolf stuff and, and all kinds of things. He was there to sort of help guide me. And, of course, Thomas was in and out at that time because his career had taken off and uh, he was getting nominated for Emmys and doing all kinds of fantastic work himself. But I had a support group there that helped me out. Um, but it was, you know, listen, there was a, there was a learning uh, curve there. And, and um, you know, I'm thankful that I had uh, some people there that I knew really well and I trusted to be able to make the kind of mistakes and, uh, that you make when you first start and, uh, and have people point out, point it out in a constructive way. So, uh, yeah, I was prepared to do it uh, because I had been on sets my whole life, but there was a lot of learning uh, to, to be had there in those first few episodes, to be sure. Yeah, Kevin, the thing is, I mean, The White Shadow still means so much to so many people, myself included, but again, you were part of some amazing shows, and it was that time in my life. For instance, 21 Jump Street, I love this. Let me hit oh, you yeah. with this. 31 years ago, you directed Johnny Depp and my gal Holly Robinson-Pete, and I had to, I texted right. her before this, Kevin, to confirm. I said, Kevin worked that show, right? He goes, oh, she said, oh, yeah, we go way back. I've known him since I was a little girl. First yeah. things first, who's cooler than Holly? In fact, Kevin, I can handle that for you. Nobody is. What yeah, do you remember about that gig? Answer. Nobody, man. Nobody, Absolutely right? Nobody. nobody. 
No, that's listen. She's I have known her for for quite a while, and uh, she and her family. She's just got a, a fantastic family, and I love I love her and and them so much. They're just they're just great people, man. And I, you know, listen. When I got to go to to Jump Street, it was very interesting because to this day, like my younger kids don't believe I know Johnny Depp. Right, and I'm like. No, just check out my resume. It's there. <laughs> it's there. Uh, and uh, you know what I remember about that episode is we had a, we had a bear. We had a one of them. I think it might have been Johnny fought a bear uh, at some dive bar on the road somewhere. And uh, I just remember that's been the only time in my career I've ever worked with a bear. Crazy. So there you go. That's crazy. So, like for instance, like Johnny Depp. Did you? What did you make of him at that time? And did you see him going on to be one of the biggest movie stars on the planet? No, I didn't. I didn't see that. I mean, clearly he was very popular on the show, and the show was was popular. Um, and you know, listen, those guys were pretty cocky when I got up there. You know, I, I remember you know going up to Vancouver in October, and I don't remember the year specifically, but I know that was the first time that I realized that Canada celebrates Thanksgiving a month earlier than we do. So. I took the job and I wound up being, um, I wound up actually being in, in, in Canada for our Thanksgiving. I missed our Thanksgiving. So I had to work. And, uh, and Johnny and Peter DeLuise, they were, I was working with them a lot. And they, those guys were just having a good old time. And, you know, they had been on the air for a while. So it was kind of, kind of routine for them. And, you know, I'm trying to do my thing. And I remember having to say to them, hey, guys, listen. You know, I'm missing turkey and stuffing and all kinds of stuff today to be here with you guys. And they kind of looked at me and they were like, oh, yeah, that's right. It's Thanksgiving. Oh, okay. All right. So we'll, we'll behave now. Right. And um, we went on and had a really, really good time. And, and Johnny was great back then. Uh, I knew he wanted to do other things. But, man, who could have guessed that he would have taken off the way he did? I mean, he's just had a phenomenal career. So let me talk to you about this amazing app that I've come across. Robinhood. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos all commission-free. What they're doing is trying to make financial services work for everybody and not just the wealthy. It's a non-intimidating way for stock market newcomers to invest for the first time with true confidence. It's simple, it's intuitive, and there's a clear design with data presented in a way that's so easy to understand and digest. Here's what I love about Robinhood. Other brokerages charge up to 10 bucks for every single trade, but Robinhood does not charge commission fees. You can trade stocks and keep all of your profits. And you can learn how to invest as you build out your portfolio. You can discover new stocks, track your favorite companies with a personalized news feed, and there are custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right moment to jump in and invest. And now is the best time to act because Robinhood is giving you a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. Sign up right now at jimrome.robinhood.com. Once again, jimrome.robinhood.com. Kevin, I could do this for hours before I let you go. There's Passenger 57, Wesley Snipes. Dude, there's that. (laughs) Tom Sizemore. Liz freaking Hurley, if you need her, I mean, yeah. there, there are some legendary stories about Wesley Snipes. Do you have a favorite? I, you know what, man? I, you know, it's funny because uh, I guess my favorite story about Wesley back then was that, you know, he came into Passenger 57 and, uh, you know, White Men Can't Jump was in the can, but it hadn't been released. 
And so when we first started the thing, I think, I think maybe within the first couple of weeks, White Man Can't Jump opened and, and was huge. It just became a huge success. And so during the course of Passenger 57, which I think was about 11 weeks, during that period of time, I don't think I've ever, I, I know I've never seen an actor's career take off the way Wesley's did. Um, I mean, he signed to do four movies during the course of, of, of us making Passenger 57. And I think, you know, he must have amassed, you know, I don't know how many millions of dollars. And so it was really interesting, you know, watching him during the course of that and, and really trying to sort of maintain and keep his, his focus, you know, on Passenger 57 because things were happening so quickly for him that, you know, it was really difficult to sort of keep him in there. But, you know, I think there was that. And, and I, I just remember the first, like, fight sequence we did, man. And he, like, his leg came up so high and he started his, his capoeira stuff. And I was like, oh, my God, this if, if people get into this, they're going to love it. And uh, we were lucky enough that that movie opened and did really well and, and changed both of our careers. You know, he went on to do some really fantastic stuff and some some incredible work and you know i learned an awful lot from it as well so it was it was a good experience man it was it was tough but it but it turned out really well so kevin leave us with this thought i mean for instance let's be let's be uh, accurate about this even before the white shadow you were a young actor you were doing really yes. really well before you got that role your father was absolutely iconic in the industry and then beyond the white shadow you went on and you've done so many things we've talked about a lot of them but not all of them but the fact of the matter is do you think i mean were you destined for this kind of life and this kind of career or maybe would this not have happened without the white shadow well i think i was on path to do uh to do something i mean i was really you know i grew up in the business as you said and and uh you know i mean uh, one of the things that really stood out to me at that point in time you know was a movie i i did called sounder back in 72 sure. nominated for four academy awards with cicely tyson and paul winfield and cicely just got her uh, honorary oscar a few weeks ago uh, some 40 years later as well. Uh, but, you know, I think that I, I would have been on an acting path. Uh, I never really uh, was looking to direct. I, I had a lot of respect for directors that I'd worked with, but I didn't see myself on that path. I think, you know, that really was created by the White Shadow, and, and in particular, again, you know, the kindness and generosity of Paltrow, who you know, as I said, changed changed my career, changed my life, and uh, I, I cannot thank him enough for that. So then a final thought. I mean, you've made movies, you've worked on shows on network, cable, Netflix. As I mentioned, so much has changed, Kevin, in the last five to ten years. What do you think the next five to ten years will look like, and what do you see yourself doing? Well, uh, listen, I mean, I don't know how much longer uh, I will be doing this uh you know it's i i've been in this business now for 50 years that's God. a half century dude how you is that possible right? how yeah. is that possible i don't know jim but it happened um and so you know i i think that uh you know i'll definitely be winding it down sometime soon i've got uh you know three beautiful kids uh two of them are on the creative side of things and you know, I think if uh, if anything, I'll focus more on maybe helping them get their projects off the ground and see if I can contribute in any way there. Um, 
But, you know, listen, it's been a great run, man. And, uh, you know, right now I'm trying to find, you know, a really private island somewhere where uh, I can go off and, uh, and watch movies and lots of sports. I see you working, Kevin. Listen, I, I can't say how, how anxious I was to get caught up with you, how much I appreciate you. You know, I love the this fact that you, my man, you, you have such a profound appreciation for everything that's happened in your career, all the things that you made happen. But I, I think it's great, and I love your energy and enthusiasm for it. Great to get caught up, Kevin. Thank you so much for taking Thank so much you, time, man. I Listen, I appreciate it, and uh, you are always one of my favorite conversations and people, and you know that. So anytime, man, just ring the phone, and I'll be there, bro. I'm going to take you up on that, Kevin. Thank you so much. You were the absolute best. I appreciate you. Happy holidays. All right. Building professionals, I know you're out there, I know you're listening, because I hear from you. Now listen to me. If you're a contractor, builder, or remodeler, Lumber Liquidators Pro Plus is the only partner you will ever need for all of your flooring needs. With special pro-only pricing and dedicated support, LL Pro Plus will help you get your flooring jobs done quickly and profitably. If you're worried about selection and availability, you shouldn't be, because Lumber Liquidators has over $150 million That is an enormous number, 150 million square feet of flooring available with over 100,000 square feet in stock in most of their stores. And they stock professional-grade adhesives, underlayment, molding, tools, fasteners, and grout, so you get exactly what you need. And if you can't get there yourself to pick it up, that's not a problem because the LL Pro Plus team will deliver your flooring right to your job. And with LL Pro Plus, you can even get a business line of credit if that's something you need. So put the LL Pro Plus flooring experts on your team right now. Visit your local Lumber Liquidator store or lumberliquidators.com slash pro sales. Do it today. Wow. Absolutely incredible. I cannot tell you how much I respect, how much I appreciate, how much I admire Kevin Hooks. I've been looking forward to that conversation for so long. It was so great to go long form and go deep with him. And so awesome to hear that people will still stop him all the time to talk about the white shadow. Awesome of Kevin to take the time and do a total deep dive right there. Speaking of deep dives, it is that time of year. The perfect time of year where you can maximize your holiday break by going back and crushing previous episodes of the podcast. Trust me on this. I still get resets from past eps of this pod all the time. It's because they're evergreen and they do hold up. So do me a favor and do that. This thing is going to go on its own vacation until the first week of January. So you've got some time to get back and listen to some of the previous ones. It has been an awesome 2018 for the Jim Rome podcast. Happy holidays, everybody, and I will see you on the other side.